Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are I hope you're happy to be in the house of the Lord today. I hope you're happy to be with people that you love today. I hope that you don't come over here saying, oh, I have to go to church and I have to see that person. That I hope you all love each other. <laughs> and if you don't, get to love each other. All right. If you have a sheet of paper, go ahead and take, take I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you an assignment real quick. A little bit different since school starting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you some home, I'm going to give you some classwork. And, and we'll get ready. Um, take out a sheet of paper. Maybe you do smart devices. Maybe you have an iPad. Maybe you do a phone. Put a, uh, maybe a blank uh, sheet on your notes. And that's going to be a place where you're going to take notes. That's going to be a place where you're going to write your thoughts and uh, really let this word land on you. But before we do that, I want to ask you two questions that are, it's really one whole question together. So if you know my mind a little bit, just, just run with me. Uh, forgive me if, if I if I don't break it down correctly, but it's like, two, it's like five questions in one. Here it is. Write this down. Um, what, actually, I think you guys have it. Are you guys going to put it up? What gives, uh, uh, I, I might not have run that by you. What gives you hope and joy? What gives you hope and joy? Write that down. What gives you hope and joy? And, but right next to that, continue that sentence with, uh, what will be your proud reward, reward and crown when you stand before Jesus? What will be your proud reward and crown when you stand before Jesus? That's a good question to ask somebody. What gives you hope and joy? If I were to title today's message anything, it would be this. What gives you joy? So answer this question. What gives you hope and joy? What will be your proud reward and crown when you stand before Jesus? Just like in a classroom, if you need me to say it again, please raise your hand and I will more, be more than happy to, share, to say it again. Amen. All right. So with that question, can you answer that? Can you answer that there? Just maybe the first thing that pops in your mind. Don't worry about failing this. Don't worry about getting the wrong answer. Um, maybe there really isn't a right answer in a sense. Um, it, maybe it all depends where you're all at in your walk with the Lord. But, but just answer that to the best of your ability right now. Um, does anyone, have, they, have you answered it yet? Has anyone answered it yet? If you've answered it, can you just um, stand up, one person, just stand up and say what you've, all right, Charlene, stand up and say what you have so far. All right, so family. So, so the question is, what gives you hope and joy, your proud reward and crown when you stand before Jesus? My family or family. Okay, good. Anyone else? Anyone else? You're wrong. No, I'm just playing. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you said that. You're wrong, actually. You got enough today. But A and effort. All right, good. That my family knows the Lord. We could trust in him. What's your reward? What's the crown that you're going to give when you stand before Jesus? It's really good. Good stuff. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? So nervous. I'm scared to say the wrong thing. You're not going to say the wrong thing. Huh? DJ Yaw said obedience. Obedience, good. So I'm going to give him my obedience. That's my crown. My reward before the Lord is obedience. Good. G, stand up, buddy. Stand up. The one and only Gerson, just in case you didn't know. 
Man, his promises and being with us to the end of time. All right, anyone else? I think I saw George Machado in the back just playing, brother. All right, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you want to share something, stand up. All right, amen. All right, we're good? You guys are, write, you guys are writing some stuff down? All right, I'll tell you what. Let's answer that in about 40 minutes. Give me like 40 minutes to answer that question. All right? This week, as um, you're, you're still thinking about that question, this week I've been stuck on a passage in Scripture, um, and since Monday I've been reading it over and over. I'm not lying to you. Since Monday. Um, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. How many of you enjoy the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians? You should. Some good stuff there. And since Monday, I've been reading specifically chapters 1 through 3 repeatedly. So if you ask me, what have you been on this week? I'm not lying to you. It's only chapters 1 through 3. I haven't even been able, I haven't even been able to get to 4 yet. I'm just reading and reading and reading one, two, and three. And every time I'm reading it, the Lord is, the scripture is, is showing me something new. So it's like, ah, and it's such a good frustration. It's a beautiful thing. And I've been just on that. And today I want to share this with you, what I've been on for the whole week. It's a passage that maybe we've covered um, here at some point, um, but for whatever reason, I couldn't shake it off. Um, to, to prepare for this Sunday. So before we get into this passage, I want to give you a, a little background on the letters of First and Second Thessalonians as we like to do so you could really know what the text is about. Because sometimes we could just preach, but then you don't know like what's going on around that context, okay? And chapters 1, um, the 1st the and 2nd Thessalonians, the background on it is interesting. We see it not in the book of 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, we actually have to go to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul, and Paul has a vision. And he has this vision, and it's called, many call it the Macedonian call, where a man from Macedonia calls out to Paul, and he tells Paul in this vision, he says, come, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul gets this vision. And in verse 10, I'm going to read it to you. It says this in Acts chapter 16. It says, Now after he had seen the vision, he being Paul, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So all of this is to get to Thessalonica. And that's what we're looking at in Acts chapter 16 and in 17 now in a moment. So this is the region in which Thessalonica would be in, Macedonia. Uh, a little bit about this is that it's said to be one of Paul's first letters. So as we get into 1 Thessalonians today, uh, the, the, the letter that Paul might have written before this one, scholars believe, is Galatians. And outside of Galatians, this is most likely the first or the second letter that Paul writes. And he's writing this and He's writing this into this area of Macedonia, and it would be Thessalonica, one of the first cities in Europe that Paul and his companion Silas would evangelize in. Thessalonica is one of the first places where his feet touch in Europe to share the gospel. It would be, Thessalonica would be a crucial, a crucial and strategic location 
strategic for the spread of the gospel. So here's some, I just want to let you know what's happening here. Some, some things that you should know. It was a port city, a commercial center, so you know that a lot was going on there. It brought a lot of traffic. And on this important highway that cut through the port, it made Thessalonica one of the wealthiest trade centers in the Roman Empire. It was the capital, it was the capital and the largest city of the province of Macedonia, Thessalonica was. And it had a population of about 200,000 people. That's a lot of people in these days. So because of its strategic location, Thessalonica became what, what would be known as, as a base for the spread of the gospel in Macedonia and also in Greece. It was very important. The gospel would travel throughout all that area, all because of this strategic city. It was Paul's plan. It was a, a church that would be planted in a geographic center where it would become the evangelistic hub for the whole surrounding area, the whole surrounding region. And Paul knew that if I could get this port city to come to Christ, we could spread the gospel from this area throughout the whole entire region. Very good stuff. So let's read a little bit about Paul's time in Thessalonica. Come on, come on this field trip with me. Come on, put on, put on your, get into the portal, jump into the portal with me, and let's take a trip to the area of Macedonia. Let's enter into the city of Thessalonica, and let's look at Paul, let's look at Silas, and let's see what happens. Go to chapter 17 of the book of Acts, verse 1. We have to go through this before we ever read 1 Thessalonians. Verse 1 says this, Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he, I love this, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He used, the, Paul used the scriptures. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And he was said that Jesus, that he was telling them about, is the Messiah. Verse 4, some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and they began to join Paul and Silas, along with many other God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So some very important women in that area. Let's stop there for a moment in verse 4 of Acts 17. I, I love already just what we're seeing here. Hopefully you've jumped into the portal with me. Hopefully we went back in time and we're in Thessalonica and you're seeing this with your own eyes. But, but I love this because just in verse 2, you know, oftentimes uh, people feel like, man, you know, I, I want to start something. I want to do uh, the work of the Lord. I want the Lord to use me. I want to serve God. Sometimes I hear young pastors or, or new pastors that are coming into ministry and, and they say, I, I, I need to come up with strategies. I just need the right strategy to plan a church, the right strategy so that God could use me. I mean, when we read this, we, we see some strategy. We see some vision, right? He, he, Paul goes and preaches at a place where when some come to know Christ, the word of God would spread quickly and not only quickly but plentiful. So in that sense, yeah, there was some sort of strategy. But, but other than that, 
what was Paul's strategy? Did you catch it in chapter 2? Put, um, put verse 2 up there again, um, if you can. I think it was so important of uh, Acts 17. Watch this. Here is, here's Paul's strategy uh, to plan a church. Here's your strategy for God to start using you. Look at verse 2. As Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. There's the strategy. You may be like, I just want God to use me. How can God use me at Ness? How can God use me outside of here? How can someone start a church? Oh, here it is. Ready? Show up, show up, show up, and use the scriptures. Use the scriptures, and you can't go wrong. You being available and you having the word of God in you, God could use you to do great things. That's the best strategy that you could have. And that's what Paul did. He showed up, he showed up, he showed up, and he preached the word of God. He used the scriptures, not the philosophy of man. He used the word of God, and all he did was show up three times in a row. It's a beautiful thing. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Remember what's going on. A lot of the prominent women and some of the Greek men are now following Paul and Silas. They've converted. They've given themselves. God's transformed their lives. They're Christians now. Verse 5. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob to start a riot. And they attacked the home of Jason searching for Paul and Silas so that they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them, man, took them before the city council. Imagine someone comes into your house and just drags you out because you decided to follow the teachings of Jesus, right? Just Paul and Silas, this is what they said, has caused trouble all over the world. And now they're here disturbing Thessalonica too. And Jason was, has welcomed Paul and Silas into their home. They're, they're all guilty of treason. They're, they're all guilty by association. <laughs> they're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into a turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and all the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. I mean, they just started arresting the church in Thessalonica, arrested our brother Jason. You'll meet him one day in heaven. When he comes up to you and says, hey, I'm Jason from Thessalonica, you're like, Pastor Rigo spoke about you. <laughs> they, they, they arrested these men. Verse 10 says, that very night, the believers, when they left prison, they said, Paul, Silas, get out of here, and they send them out to Berea. So this was the journey. How'd it go? How'd it go in Thessalonica? Well, do I got a story to tell you about Thessalonica. This was the journey in and through Thessalonica. And Paul now had to leave because he was going to get mobbed. And he now writes them a letter from another location. It wasn't an easy journey for Paul. He was there, as you see, for just a short time. But he had to leave because the Jews, a few of them, grew jealous of them. Everyone say jealous. I want you to see what jealousy does. I want you to recognize the effect of jealousy. What happens here? Well, they begin to plan and stir up the hearts of others. Jealous people will always stir other people to think bad about the one that they're jealous of. And that's what they're doing. They begin to stir the hearts. It's slander until finally we read in Acts 
They have a mob of people to do the dirty work for them because they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't confront them on their own, so they needed the mob to do it. So I say to the church, let's learn from Scripture, careful to not let jealousy creep in and grow into this destruction pattern whose end is, listen to this, to wish or to act on doing wrong on or to someone else. If jealousy is not controlled, you could act on that and danger someone, or you could wish harm on that person. And that's what we see in this text. Do we have things to learn when it comes to jealousy? All we could do is call it for what it is. You may call it your struggle. You may call it your vice. You may call it your weakness. I'm going to call it exactly what I see it in Scripture. Jealousy is evil to the core. It's evil. It's evil. It does evil things, and that's what jealousy is. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4, the, it says this. Anger is cruel. Everyone say cruel. It is. Anger is bad. And then he says this, wrath is like a flood. Wrath is bad. But then he goes and says this, but jealousy, <laughs> jealousy is even more dangerous. Or one translation says, but jealousy, who could stand before it? Meaning, if there's one thing that could cause the great danger in your life, note this today. It is jealousy taking root. Anyone, I mean, not here. We're not jealous people. But you guys get what I'm saying, right? All right. So this is an amazing passage. It's an amazing story. The, the believers in verse 10, um, at the end, they eventually helped Paul and Silas escape. And Thessalonica was not easy. Even before arriving to Thessalonica, Paul's life was not easy. We look at Paul, we honor Paul, we teach the doctrine, theology that comes from the penship of Paul. But not once do we see in Scripture, man, Paul's life was a difficult life. It was a rough life. It was a hard life. One that he wouldn't trade it for the world. One that he said, I'll do it all over again and much more for the, for the sake of Christ. It was not easy. Before even arriving to Thessalonica... It was difficult for Paul and for Silas. Did you know that before they ended up in Thessalonica, they spent a night in prison? Right before entering Macedonia, Thessalonica, Paul and Silas were at Philippi. Right before entering into this area. Actually, you know, because it's fun. Let's read it. Acts chapter 16. We're going to read it quick. Just because I need you to see the heart in which he writes verse 1 because of everything he's gone through. It wouldn't give justice if I come over here and say, everyone turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and I start preaching. I want you to see everything that was going on through the life of Paul and Silas through the book of Acts for them to get to Thessalonica. Amen? Let's go to Acts chapter six, um, 16. Philippi, right before going into Thessalonica. Enjoy this with me. Ready? One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. You guys, you don't have to go buy books. The Bible is interesting enough. I mean, I get it. You might be a, a Lord of the Rings fan. You might be a Chronicles of Narnia fan. Some people are Harry Potter fans and all these things. I mean, the Bible blows you away as it is already. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met this slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her, so a spirit of divination, to call the future, and she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. You want, you want to know what I called her in my notes? She was a sorcery in Harlot. She was a sorcery harlot. 
She was telling the future and giving money to her, to the guys that owned her. She was a sorcering harlot. You could call her what you want, but that's what scripture says she is. She followed Paul and the rest of us and, and shouted, behind, these men are servants of the Most High. And they, they've come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day and day until Paul got exasperated, or the New King James says, until Paul got annoyed. Ever been annoyed by someone? Annoyed. That he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her and instantly you left her. So tomorrow when you go to work and that person annoys you, you turn around and you say, I command you, demon, in the name of Jesus to come out. Even if it's your boss, you do those kind of things. And no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Unless the Holy Spirit prompts you to do it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't prompt you, if you don't see fruit from that and see the demon come out, you weren't hearing from God. All right. Don't call me tomorrow night and say, I tried it, Pastor, and I got fired. Don't do that. But try it. Never know. All right, here we go. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace, the whole city. It, it sounds like what he just went through in, in Thessalonica in the future, it's exactly what he went through in the past in Philippi. He's going through the same, my goodness, Paul's life, I love it. Oh, I know. <laughs> so the whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews, they started to shout to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for the Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed, another mob, here it is, against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. And they were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. You guys want to serve Jesus? How many of you want to serve the Lord starting next week? And as church, sign up. These are the things that could happen to you. You could be thrown into a dungeon. You could be your hands and feet. I mean, that's what it was to be a Christian in many areas still today. And in the times of Paul. We're blessed over here in the great United States of the America. But this is the truth. The rest of the story is great. We'll get to it. They begin to worship at night. The shackles and chains come off their feet. We sang so many songs and have been written because of that. The jail warden gets saved. But listen, before we read all that, it was rough. Paul did some amazing things. Paul did some, wrote some amazing things, inspired by the Holy Spirit, some important letters for the church, to the church. So much did Paul do. But the journey was not always easy. Listen to this for... For him to be used to win the soul of the prison guard, because he's going to get saved. Remember the prison guard that put him in the jail? Remember the warden that threw him in the dungeon? His story's not over. In order to touch that man's life that threw Paul in the dungeon, maybe even helped beat him with the wooden rods, maybe. Guess what Paul had to do to touch that man's heart? I need you to beat me. I need you to put shackles on my feet and my hands. 
And I need you to throw me into the darkest place of prison. Paul had to be willing to be surrendered and committed to Christ and to his word. Willing to be wrongly accused. Willing to be dragged to the crowds shamefully. Willing to be stripped and beat with rods. Willing to be put in jail. The question is for what, Paul? Why are you willing to go through all that? All for the preaching of God's word. I'm wondering if there's anyone here that is willing to risk their lives for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of heaven. You have family members that all they do is tell you, why do you go to church every Sunday? If they only knew what the Bible says, you're lucky all I do is go to church. Some of my brothers and sisters are getting beat, beheaded, thrown into dungeons. You should see what they're doing to some of the brothers' wives. You're lucky. All I do is don't see you on Sunday morning. Sorry, I can't go to the beach with you. Sorry, I can't go to the bakery with you because I've committed myself to serve at the church. But you should see what's happening to others all all around the world. Come on. What are we willing to do? The best is yet to come. This is good. This This is biblical. This is the word of God in its full effect. For what? For preaching the word. Oh, oh, so that at the end, this is for what, ladies and gentlemen, Paul says. This is for what? So that the end result would be that one man and his household would come to know Jesus. And if one man in his household could know Jesus, put me back in a prison. Put shackles back on my feet and my hands. Put me back and beat me. But if that jailer gets saved, then I'm telling you the beating was worth it. The heart of Paul. How come, he's so, how come he's so fanatic? Because the man he follows was willing to do the same thing and place himself on the cross. And all he was doing was following the footsteps of his Messiah. And if my Messiah was beaten and shamed and bruised and hung on a cross, who am I not to honor the same, the same suffering as Christ suffered? That, that, that's the heart of Paul. So church, what are we willing to endure for the sake of the gospel so that others would know Christ? Because the reality is, and I'm not speaking to one of you, I'm going to be very frank with you. I'm speaking to all of us, including me. I'm looking at a mirror. The reality is most of our Christianity is very safe. If it gets difficult, we stay a little quiet. If it's going to isolate us, we just don't do it. If it's going to ridicule us, eh, I just want to fit in. If I can't go there no more, then I, I'm just not going to be that extreme. But what happens if this church, if this group of people just become a little bit crazy for Jesus? <laughs> a little bit radical. And you may call it radical, but biblically, when you talk to people like Paul and Timothy and all these guys from Scripture, they're like, oh, no, that was normal. Is there another way? They will look at you and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did you do it? Like, I don't know. I got, I'm addicted to Netflix. I'm addicted to my phone. I, I, and Paul and Silas say, oh, no. This was normal for us. We always were risking our lives for Jesus. My God, we lived with that thrill. I'm going to talk to the men. Maybe some of you women could join me. Like a lot of men, not most men, but a lot of men, we love like these thriller movies and these war movies and these movies of like, oh, no, that one man that could destroy an army. That was Paul's life. And what a thrill that was. I was, always, I was always in this thriller. And it was always for the sake of the gospel. It was always like, oh, what's, what's God going to do today? Who knows? 
Come on, is their soul worth that much to you? Is their soul that much worth? Is, is it worth that much that others would know Christ? How many of you all want to read it just because it's fun? Maybe today, if not, trust me, we'll be back next week if God allows. We'll get into 1 Thessalonians. I'm just having a lot of fun right now in Acts. But, but let's read it just for fun. Acts 16, 25. I'll read it quick. Around midnight, Paul and Silas, remember they're in prison. The jailer put them in the darkest dungeon in the prison. They had just been beaten, and they have shackles on their feet and on their hands. And around midnight, Paul and Silas, they decided it's a good time to do this. They began to pray and to sing songs to God, and the other prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. Probably like, these guys are crazy. But suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open. What a coincidence. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. I love that one person's worship and prayer and faith in the Lord could cause the breakthrough of another individual that's right alongside them. Sometimes all we need to do is step up to watch them break free. We've been praying for someone to break free for years in our lives. And the Lord's like, they'll break free. Just step up. All right, here we go. Suddenly there was, okay, we read that. The jailer woke up to see that the prison doors were open and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. And right when he was about to kill himself, Paul shouted, hey, stop. All of this is for you. (laughs) He says, "Don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for the lights. Turn the lights on. He ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Come on. Who's in charge now? The, the warden is shaking before Paul. You're going to kill me, aren't you? I just beat you. I just threw you in prison. I put you in the dungeon. You're going to kill me, aren't you? He's, and thank God I'm not Paul. You know, finish him. Paul, think about this for a moment. This script, it, touch, it, it should touch us. He falls down. It says, then he brought them out. and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds that probably he or his contemporaries caused upon him, upon them. And then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into it. How many of you have not been baptized here? For the, those hands went up. We have a baptism next Saturday. Get baptized. Immediately get baptized if you're in Christ Jesus. All right, here we go. Sorry for putting you there. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and he set a meal. Before, he fed them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Amen. So this is just the introduction so that you could have a sort of glimpse into the life of Paul and Silas and understanding to what we'll read eventually in 1 Thessalonians just in chapter 1. How much is, how much, that was a lot, wasn't it? And that's just scratching the surface. So I, as I began, here's what I couldn't. I want to introduce it to you for sure. Here's what I couldn't shake off me this whole week. Let's read it because it's fun. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. Actually, let's start in verse 2. It says, we, Paul, he's talking here and he says, we thank God for all of you and we pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work. Everyone say faithful work. Write that down. We think of your loving deeds. Say loving deeds. You should write that down. 
and we think of your enduring hope. Say enduring hope. We should write that down. We think of your faithful work, loving deeds, enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we already see in the introduction of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to get to the place that really rocked my heart. We're not there yet. We see already in this introduction that these believers are bearing fruit. Immediately they're bearing fruit. And Paul calls on the fruit that they're bearing. Number one, you're showing faithful in your work. He calls them out. They've been faithfully working and serving the Lord. They've been building and sharing and in fellowship and all things. They've been serving just not each other but those around them. They, they've become a light within their very own region in the Macedonia area. Thank you for your faithful work. I've been thinking about it. We're praying for you often. Number two, your loving deeds. All that they've been doing is from the place of love. It's coming from true love. Their works and their service to each other and to the outsiders have been evident of Christ's love. And Paul says, thank you for showing this loving deeds. Number three, he says, enduring hope. This is interesting, enduring hope. Enduring because these believers would be persecuted time and time again, just like their leader Paul would be. Thank you for enduring because you're going to be persecuted. And these believers, believers would have their hope. Everyone say hope. Yeah, they would have their hope challenged and confronted. And with every trial, with every difficulty, with every opposition, with every challenge, they've been fruitful to endure in their hope. How many of you has your hope been challenged? And you're like, I don't know. Your hope ever been challenged? And Paul says, thank you for enduring, your enduring hope. This church... We're, in, we're not going back to Acts now. We're in Fresh Thessalonians. Ready? This church was a beacon. It was a beacon to those in all the surrounding areas. It was a church for others to emulate. If you're going to be like any church, man, First Thessalonians, man, it tells us this is the church, man. Look at them. Look how they're faithful in their work. Look how their deeds are loving. And look how they, they endure in their hope. This is a good church to emulate. Verse 4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and he's chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. How many of you love that? That Jesus Christ is not just knowledge and words, but he also moves in power. The Holy Spirit moves in power in the believer's lives. As a believer, you have an anointing over your life. I pray that you could activate that. Not only with words, but also with power. I mean, Paul is saying it. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way that we lived when we were with you. We've been an example to your life. So this is a beautiful thing. Many churches, they, they want to talk about the word, but they don't want God to move in his power. May we never be that. May we always believe in the word of God and never be absent of the power of God. They go together. If we're going to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, we better believe that God can still cast out demons yesterday like he did today and he can forevermore. Our God is still powerful. Amen? Just because we've learned a little bit in his word does not mean that we could extract the power of God. So Paul is telling them, you're so special. 
From the beginning, we've seen how God loves you, how he's chosen you to be his people. When we went and when we taught you the word, not only did you receive the word that we gave you, the word of God, but we saw how the Holy Spirit moved with you, moved in you with power. So beautiful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm bouncing around, but it's just so good. Paul goes into the reason of why he went to them. He says this in chapter 2 of the same book, verse 4. He says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we've never sought it from you or from anyone else. I love that. Verse 12, we pleaded with you, we've encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. That's why we came, Paul says. Verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you didn't think of our words as mere human, mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is, and this word continues to work in you who believe, man. Powerful, powerful scripture. So if we read from where we left off and we jump back to chapter one in verse five, here is what impacted me this week. Are you guys with me? And this is where we're going to eventually sail off. Verse six. Remember everything I just read, verses one through five, for the sake of time, let me not read it again, but thank you for your faithful work, loving Deeds, enduring hope. He's telling the church, you've truly been called by God. Now verse 6 is so powerful. Oh my God, it killed me on Monday. And it hasn't come off from killing me. He says this, so you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that it brought you. Hmm. Read it again to yourself. I'm going to stay quiet. Just read it one more time to yourself. Just read it real quick. I mean, did you, did you catch this? What does this verse mean to you? You receive the message with joy. You receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. But then when I read that, I say, wait, wait, wait. wait. The very thing that you joyfully receive is the very thing that is causing you, causing you severe suffering. But you receive it with joy. When I read this, I said, but this doesn't make sense at all. Because the obvious solution would be, well, reject what is causing you to suffer severely. You know, when your flesh really wants to do one thing and be one way or think one way, but the Holy Spirit says, yeah, but no, you're not going to be like that. And you're not going to feed the appetite of the flesh. You're going to kill it. And you're going to surrender things. And you're going to walk in the Spirit. Sometimes the severe suffering is worth receiving the truth of God's word with, with pure joy. It's obvious that we would think, well, reject what is causing you to suffer severely. But then you read it again, and, but you read it now not necessarily with a carnal mind or, or, or with a, or this physical perspective. And you read it and you say to yourself, wait, this makes perfect sense. 
We can say that the spiritual father, the pastor, the apostle over this church is Paul. And Paul, as we have already seen, as we've already spoken about, uh, just to joyfully get the gospel to Thessalonica had to endure extreme difficult hardships. So it would only make sense that this church that God birthed through the leading of Paul would in return learn from their great leader and also share in some of the same sufferings that Paul did. As Paul is sharing the same sufferings as Christ, (coughs) now the Thessalonians are sharing the same sufferings as Paul in Christ. And now it goes on from there and from there. And here we are some thousands of years later. And what are we doing? So let's talk about us. If the outcome to receiving God's word is ever to bring us to a place of severe suffering, will we continue to receive it with joy, which comes from the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself that question. My God. Your answer is yes, of course. I'm willing to die for Jesus. Amen? Of course I would. I'll put myself in severe suffering if it's about receiving God's word. Then the answer to your yes, of course, is good. Praise God. Let's start then by examining ourselves. I'm going to talk to myself for a little bit. Forgive me as I just talk for myself and remove you out of this room. Then I need to examine myself. I need to check my roots. I need to check my heart. Because if the difficulty of life or the simplicity of my own self-absorbed, egotistic life gets challenged, how easily swayed and divided I can become against that individual that has challenged me. You're so full of yourself, Regal. I'm just talking to myself. I'm talking about that great, self-centered, narcissistic, prideful man. How does anyone stand against that person? I wonder if any of you have ever been there. How dare they speak? How dare they talk? How dare they not love me? If we can't deal with those petty things, then how will we, verse 6, ever receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering that it brings us? He's talking, man, God's called us to something greater and deeper than the petty things that bother us and worry us. Amen? I'm trying to think where I should end this. Here we go. We still have some time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go back to chapter 2. He tells the church this as he's writing this letter to the, Thessalon- to the Thessalonians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who because of their belief in Christ suffered from their own people, the Jews. Good job. You've also imitated other brothers of yours, other sisters of yours. For some of the Jews killed the prophets. Some of them killed even our Lord Jesus. Look what it says next. Now they have persecuted us too, you Thessalonians. They failed to please God and to work against all humanity. As they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sin, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. My Lord. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again. But look at the obstacle. He says, Satan prevents us. Verse 19, after all, what gives us hope. My goodness, this is another, I sent this to Omar when I got rocked by this. And I said, every preacher, every preacher should study, every preacher should study 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let it cling in their hearts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, is, is, it should be every preacher's passage. After all, verse 19, look at this. What was the, stop. Church. What gives you hope and joy? Remember the question that you answered? What will be your proud reward and crown when you stand before Jesus? Look what Paul says. After all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? Look what he says. It is you, and just in case you didn't hear right, Paul says, yes. He repeats himself. In verse 20, he says, yes, you are our pride and joy, my Lord. Here's Paul. And to, to answer this question, my great reward, my great crown when I stand before the Lord is the church of God. Is the church that he's allowed me to pastor and be persecuted with. It's the church that he allowed me to suffer with. It's my brothers and sisters. It's you. You are what gives us hope and joy. You are the proud reward and crown. You are it. You are our pride and joy. It's almost like a father speaking to his son, to his daughter, and saying, I'm so proud of you. You're my heart. You're my joy. You're my everything. And Paul, like a father, is saying that to his sons and daughters. You're it when I present you before him. You're it. I read this and I say, has this challenged you in any way, this passage? Has it challenged you in who and what we're truly called to be and to become? I'm going to ask worship to get ready, but maybe it shouldn't just, maybe it shouldn't just be enough to come to church on Sundays and just to be occupied. Listen to this. Maybe it shouldn't just be enough to be busy throughout the rest of the week to never give any notice or recognition to God's purposes and the people that he's called us to serve. Only until we get together again the following Sunday. Most of us, the, is the only service that we do, is it this? Is this the only service that we do? Is the only service that I can do for another person is just come over here and try to preach and keep you awake for an hour? Is the only service we do to give you a box when you're new here for the first time? Is the only service that we do is to teach your kids when you bring them? Is the only service to do is to hug you and say, I love you when you show up on a Sunday, but on a Tuesday night, don't call me because I don't love you on Tuesday nights. 
I just love you when it's church time. That's service day. That's when I love you and I smile and say, I'm your brother. I love you so much. But on Tuesday night, don't ask me to get out of my bed to go to your house because you're struggling with your vice and you need me to be there. No, I can't do that. Come on. I'm asking you a question, church. Who are you and what are you becoming in Jesus? Do you see through this passage? Come on. What is your pride and joy? Yes, it all starts with Jesus. But you know that if you love Jesus, immediately you love the people that Jesus loves. And you love them not just on Sunday morning. And it better end at 12 because after 12 my love stops. We're called to this. My pride and joy, Lord. May it be your people when I present myself to you. May my crown and my, my, my rejoice be my faithfulness, Lord, with the people of God. May I surrender them to you and say, Lord, I've done my best. To love and serve them. I know I failed. I know I've messed up. I know I've said some things that I haven't been able shouldn't have said. I, I know I went through immaturity things, but Lord, my pride, my joy, that thing, Lord God, my reward, my crown when I stand before, it is you. It is you, Lord. May it be the people that you love. May it not be so much about people serving me, but may it be more about me serving people. Oh my God, the narcissism, the self-absorption of I must be recognized and served. No, you must be recognized and served. You want to change a city? You want to change Nest Church? We always say, oh, we got to figure out how to grow this church. You really want to grow this church? Like seriously, it's so easy. Because I saw it happen when we first planted the church. Do you really want to see this church explode? It's easy. Stretch your calendar and make time just to serve people. And when you begin to serve people, they can't but love you and stay next to you and follow you. They've given me time. He's cried with me. There's brothers in, in this church that I, I, I hope that I could grow old with because I've cried with them. They've seen me in my weaknesses and they've still stayed with me. And I've seen them at their weaknesses and I've still stayed with them. I hope to grow old with those brothers. You want to see this church explode? It's less about us. It's less about us. You want to see revival? You want to see breakthroughs? It's less about you. Oh, but I just want to be... I just Trust me that if we're all serving everyone... You're being served to everyone's just. What is your hope? What is your joy? This is not enough for us. My greatest frustrations is, is like, I have to be careful because I don't want you guys to think, oh my God, maybe he's not well. And I don't want you to think that. And I don't want you to think that I'm leaving. And I don't want you to think that I'm going through like a... But like, sometimes this is my greatest struggle because I feel like there's more. And sometimes like, let's just open our house. Let's just do things. I wanna, you guys don't even know some of the things that I'm thinking about. I'm trying to find different locations because I want to I wanna just preach in different places. I want to invite people. I wanna, I, I, and, 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 and I'm just like, God, God I don't know how. And, and it just starts, to, maybe it's as simple as just serve people. Stop worrying about all these. Just serve. Serve people and watch things happen. There's more. Don't worry about all these things. Don't worry. Just start one 
by one love that person that God's put in your life walk with that person that God's put in your life it's not just about recognizing our responsibilities here I mean, we get burned out just by what we do here on Sunday. Oh, I just feel like I'm burned out. I feel like I'm doing too much. Too much? What are you doing Monday through Sunday? What are you doing the rest of the week if you only do this once? We're burned out because we do this once a Sunday. What? That means you're not doing nothing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. All right. Lord, that our pride, our reward, our crown when we stand before you it would be, yes, you and others. Are we doing it right? Are we doing it well? Paul says it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for you. We pray for you constantly. We pray to your God the Father about you. We thank, we thank you of your faithful work, of your loving deeds, and of your enduring hope. You, the enduring hope that you have, all these things, what you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of it points back to Jesus. It's, it's you, Lord, and them. So I leave you with this, just in case you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, like, are you sure? Like, are you really sure? Like, this is what we're called to? Well, how about in Matthew 22? When it says a lawyer came up to Jesus to question him. And he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the guy's like, oh, yes, I do that. I do that. I'm so happy. And Jesus is not even done talking. And that guy thought it was all about himself. He's like, I do that. I'm so excited. I do that. I'm going to go home happy. I do that. And Jesus is like, Shh, I'm not even done talking. He says, that's the first and greatest commandment, but the second one is just like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you love me, but you also need to love others. Paul says, what gives us hope and joy? What will be my proud reward and my crown when I, when I stand before the Lord when he returns? You ask me? Oh, it's easy. It is you. Yes, you are my pride and my joy love the lord your god and love your neighbor as well it's you church i could only ask you one more time because i'm gonna go crazy but what gives you joy i hope you could just ex really examine yourself right now what gives you joy lord if i could sing i will sing a song right now Holy Spirit, fill this room. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, sing to the Lord. Let Him fill your heart. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Transform us, Lord. Transform us. Transform us, Lord. Oh, man, this is the Word of God. Transform me. Transform me.
less about me, Lord, more about you, less about me. Starting with myself, I hope that I could leave here with that question digging a little deeper in me. What is, what is my hope? What's my joy? What's my reward? What's my crown? I hope that means something totally different. Amen. Alright, we're going to close up. I, I just, you know. I just feel the presence of the Lord, you know? Amen.